back to the on-air mobcast. Today we are joined by Indy Star sports reporter James Boyd, originally from Romeoville, Illinois, and began his career at the Times of Northwest Indiana. So how are you doing today, James? Doing good, man. Living the dream, uh, chasing the dream still, and just enjoying every step of this crazy ride for my first uh, NBA season. So I definitely want to say that you are one of my biggest inspirations, James, and I thank you so much for joining me today. The first thing I really want to get, get into and talk about was to be able to understand where your origins were. Describe the launch of your journalism career at the Times in Northwest Indiana. Yeah, man, so I wasn't one of those people who uh, grew up sitting on my dad's lap, reading the newspaper every Saturday, nothing like that. Um, I got into journalism because I took a journalism class my sophomore year of college and um, kept bugging my teacher, Jennifer Follis, and she told me, hey, I love you. I think you're, 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 you're a great student, but you know, stop talking to me and go write for the school newspaper. So uh, she pushed me in that direction and um, I kind of just took it and ran with it. Um, my major was actually broadcast journalism, so more like video and, and, and audio and, and MMJ type stuff, multimedia journalism type stuff. But um, I ended up getting an internship with the Associated Press when I was in college covering men's basketball and football. And that's what kind of really solidified me being in the print journalism lane. Um, I skipped a few steps in, in the story. I didn't start off doing men's, you know, basketball, football. I actually started off doing men's gymnastics. Um, you know, a bunch of buff men who are much stronger than me flipping around. And then I did, uh, I believe, softball, volleyball, women's basketball, and then worked my way up to the, the big beats, men's basketball and football. And then the one job I applied for out of college in Indiana was at the Times. Um, knew nothing about the region. I just knew that Munster, which is where the office is, was about 45 minutes to an hour from where I lived in Romeoville at the time. And I was like, yeah, if I got to make it work, I will. And uh, yeah, man, the one job I got in Indiana, the one I applied for, it's the one I got, and it just catapulted my career. And I can confidently say, honestly, like I would not have been able to get a promotion, to go back to my university to cover you know, Illinois athletics, and then to you know even get another bump up to cover the Pacers without starting in the region and doing preps in the region. Yeah, so elaborate on that. You said that you, after you left the Times, you went back to Illinois and then you came to Indy, the Indy Stars. So how was the transition and how long were you at the Times before you made the transition back to Illinois and then to Indianapolis? Yeah, so I was at the Times for two and a half years about. Um, I loved it, didn't want to leave, wasn't looking for a way out, um, but it was one of those things where I kind of joked with the kids. It was like I got my Division One scholarship in a sense. So um, I got offered a promotion to go cover my mom mater. They knew I had graduated from the University of Illinois. They wanted to up their college coverage, and so it seemed like a perfect fit for me to go back there and to and to go all in, um, you know, on the Atlanta Athletics, which was cool. I got to see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people that helped me start my career. Um, they were excited to see me kind of return home in a sense, my home away from home. And then I was there for five months and, and then the Pacers job opened up and um, I just applied thinking, you know, I was aware of it. Um, I asked people telling me, hey, you should just try it. And I thought, you know, it'd be a good chance to just get my name out there, get my resume out there. I wasn't really thinking that I would get the position. And then it's like, you apply for it. It's like, oh, you got it. Like you got a chance to. So it all kind of came pretty fast, man. I went from, you know, covering high school at the beginning of 2021. I was doing high school, the middle of 2021, I was doing all, the, all over the summer, I was doing college. And then towards the fall and the winter, I had uh, elevated to the NBA. So it came kind of fast, but again, 
Um, I tell the kids all the time in the region, I follow all of them still on Instagram, on Twitter. I will never like unfollow them or unfriend them. Like I'm never that big, you know what I mean? Because they were the reason I even got a chance to, to get this job. You know, I sent a lot of clips in and a lot of the clips that I sent in to get promoted, to go back to Illinois and to, to get this job with the Pacers were high school, you know, uh, uh, articles and things like that. So it was definitely a, a crazy, crazy 2021. And I'm looking forward to just bigger things in 2022. You will always remember where you started off. I definitely remember meeting you when you were at the Times. We saw each other for the first times at Lucas Oil for the high school state championships. Yeah. I remember I got a flick from you, and I think I took a flick of you, actually. Exactly, man. I still use it. I got I to gotta ask you. I, I used that picture for, I think I, they did an article on me, and uh, I think it was like uh, NWI Life. Uh, they were doing some pieces on people around uh, the, the, the area, and I used that photo for that. So I appreciate you, my brother. It was cool to finally meet you and just honestly see somebody else that's young, black, and, and chasing this dream. I understand that completely, man. So now you're definitely living the dream, not just chasing it. You are <laughs> the living embodiment of a, a young black journalist. How about this NBA tour that you've taken upon this season? So you just went to the All-Star Game in Cleveland. Can you elaborate on that experience and how it was covering your first All-Star Game and about the Rising Stars game where you were covering Tyrese Halliburton with this? Yeah, Pacers? so I did I didn't stay for all of All-Star Weekend. I didn't like, I didn't stay for the dunk contest in the All-Star game, but I did stay for that Friday. Obviously, I made it there. I had some crazy flight issues where they were telling me like it was going to be delayed basically to, to, to the point where I would get to Cleveland at like 11.30 p.m. and everything would be over. So mm. I hopped in my car and drove four and a half hours to Cleveland um, that Friday to get there for the Rising Stars game. I got there, had some issues with my credential from the NBA. Um, luckily, they were able to work it out for me, thankfully. Um, I was thinking, like, man, I drove all the way to Cleveland. I hope they don't tell me I can't, like, get in. And um, it was a great experience. I think the biggest thing, excuse me, the biggest thing was um, just being around so many great players in one area. So the Rising Stars game was awesome to cover. Um, not, you know, probably as exciting as the All-Star game, especially how it turned out to be, you know, with Steph Curry hitting 16 threes and LeBron hitting the game winner in his old, you know, stomping grounds. But it was really cool to see guys like Isaac Okoro, you know, Kay Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and, you know, in person. And then obviously having a chance to cover Tyrese Halliburton, the new Pacers guard um, who was particip participating in that game. So it was a great experience. And then on top of that, from a media standpoint, having a chance to meet people like Mark Spears, Brian Winhorse, um, and, and others who are Chris Haynes, who are big time, you know, journalists in, in this thing. So that was a, a, a great time for me. And um, I enjoyed, you know, after covering the game that Friday, that Saturday, I hung back for a few more hours to cover like the all-star practice and had the chance to ask a couple of all-stars like Zach Levine, um, you know, and, and, and Fred Van Bleed about, you know, Halliburton and about uh, their opportunity to be in the all-star game. So it was a, a crazy weekend, a busy weekend, a lot going on in downtown Cleveland, as you can imagine, but um, an experience I wouldn't trade for anything just because, Again, you dream of, of things, but you never know how it's going to turn out. And sometimes uh, in that case, the dream or, or the actually the reality is better than the dream. So it was, it was a really cool experience. So covering your first as a beat writer, you're covering the Pacers in Indianapolis. Despite struggling, they did make some big news before the All-Star break during the NBA trade deadline. They were able to acquire Tyrese Halliburton and three-point specialist Buddy Heald with Tristan Thompson, who is now in Chicago. But in exchange for Demonte Sabonis, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb. So do you have made any major takeaways from that 
from the NBA trade deadline and the difference between the Indiana Pacers now compared to what was before the deadline? I think the biggest thing is that they're going younger. They're rebuilding, obviously. Um, and I think the sense around the league, I mean, every franchise outside of the Kings themselves has said, like, this was kind of a shocking move that Tyrese Halliburton was even available um, to be moved. But at the same time, I think on the flip side, and, I, and, and I've probably added to this a little bit, but um, DeMontis Bonus is a really good player. I don't think people talk enough about how good he is, which is why you have to give a player like Halliburton. Like, I don't think the Pacers get Halliburton without giving out Sabonis. Um, who was a two-time All-Star walking double-double. The guy had a 25-rebound triple-double earlier this season and was the first player to do that since Shaq in 1993. So, like, he's a really, really good player. Is he Shaq? No. Is he a, 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 a go-to number one guy on a championship team? No, but he's actually a really, really good player. And um, I think, you know, the like, what is the old saying is, like, you, to get something good, you got to give up something good. So, in exchange for him, the Pacers get younger with, with Halliburton. They get better shooting with uh, Buddy Heald, who may or may not be around for the future. You never know what his contract situation and what they're doing in the offseason. But um, for me, it was just really um, shocking. Like, like I've asked players, like other players have told me, you know, Jason Tatum told me that, um, you know, Fred Van Vliet told me that, and others have said that. And um, he's kind of reinvigorated the team. Now, granted, they're still not that good. Um, I do think getting rid of Karis LeVert and, Getting rid of Sabonis makes you a, a worse team right now. But looking at where they could possibly be in the draft for next this summer, um, and obviously going into next year, the moves they could possibly make, you know, possibly looking at trades from Malcolm Brogdon or Miles Turner, depending on what they want to do. Um, the future is brighter when you have that piece already there with Halliburton. I agree that their future is brighter. I'm not so certain that because they were losing, right? So they were mm -hmm. losing with Sabonis and Levert anyway. So, you know this trade deadline could have propelled them and it did make them younger. They yeah, had like five, six the guards and they yeah. got guards back. Right. And I don't think it, it has the best optics. That's a bonus was a two-time all-star. Mm -hmm. So you were our best player for the last two years. You made the all-star. You're the only uh, Pacers player that made the all-star game. And in return for that, we're going to send you to Sacramento and not just send you to Sacramento, but we're going to send you to Sacramento for basically a package. So it's not like Sacramento's good either, like how they did Sabonis a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I it comes down to just two teams going different directions. So the uh, Kings have been rebuilding for forever. It seems like they haven't made playoffs in 16 years, but I think that they were kind of like, they need to do something to just reinvigorate their fan base and kind of give their players like De'Aaron Fox, uh, uh, a nod to say, hey, we're trying to win this year. They're chasing that playing game. I still don't think they're really going to make it. So, I mean, if they don't make it, you kind of have to look back and say, was it worth it? Um, but there are two teams kind of going in different directions. And the crazy part is with uh, the, the Kings chasing a playing spot and the Pacers basically bottoming out, they had similar records when they made the trade. But because they were in different conferences, like in, in, the, in the seating of different conferences and the wins and losses, it basically put them in two different situations. I mean, they were, you got, you know, teams with hardly any wins for the Kings who were, you know, hey, if you get on a hot streak, you're in the playing tournament and the Pacers are way back in the East. So um, it was a unique situation and one that kind of, again, I think shocked everyone when Halliburton was moved. But for me, uh, from a journalism standpoint, it was crazy mm -hmm. getting, um, you know, a, a Woj notification. and it changes Seeing your day. name on it. Yeah, no, on Twitter, that was wild. I actually remember that. Yeah, when they got like, traded, it was actually from you. 
yeah. and it was your tweet. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I, I obviously Woj is first on a lot of this stuff. I've had my little, um, you know, sources or uh, the trade deadline that they were not going to flip uh, Buddy Healed again, um, which was a big speculation around the league. So it was cool to get in on the action. But I will tell you, like seeing a Woj notification unfold and then having your entire day shift because of it is crazy because it's not like you can consume it as a regular fan. Like I guess I'm a fan of the NBA still, but it's like, dang, I got to work now. Like this is crazy. And then the most intriguing part of all the trades, because, you know, I was in Atlanta when uh, I was at shoot around with Sabonis and, and, and Jeremy Lamb and uh, Justin Howell, they were still a member of the Pacers and then they weren't that night, you know, and mm. it's like, wow, like that's, that's kind of crazy how in a couple hours things are, things change. But the craziest one was Levert being traded to Cleveland when they were in Cleveland and then getting the notification, you know, from, from Twitter, from, from Adrian Wojnarowski, and that was right after the Cleveland's pregame press conference had ended. So we mm. couldn't ask, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff about it. But Rick Carlos hadn't started yet. So as I'm walking to the other end of the arena, Thomas, you know, they got – you see Karis LeVert walking off the court on the phone, you know, and everyone else is going to the court for warm-ups. He's walking away from it, going back to the locker room. And you can see, like, he's being traded, like, in real time. He's on yeah. the phone with his agent or with the GM. Um, and then at the arena. dressed it before the game, but it was crazy to see like the reaction of it and see like this is a real person being traded in real time to the team that he's going to go to in that arena. So it's like we were kind of joking, you know, different beat writers. It's like he can like say goodbye to his old teammates and walk down the, the hallway and say what's up to his new teammates. So it was a really unique. Then they're suit up, like. <laughs> Damn, bro, it was it was crazy. But again, that was my like probably my biggest. To date, like my biggest welcome to the NBA moment from a business standpoint, not from like a star standpoint. Like I had a chance to ask LeBron a question earlier this year, Steph Curry, which was a great, you know, opportunity. Definitely a surreal moment. But that was my first time seeing like, man, this is a this is a business for real. I love that you brought that up because you do cover breaking news. That is part of the job. And especially with a team that you cover, like that's actually big information. The NBA trade deadline could have propelled your career in a sense as well. Yeah, in a sense, for sure. Some of your feature stories have even won awards. It's a project series about George Floyd and like how it affected the coaches in the region. So you won first place in an Associated Press Sports Editors Project Categories edition of the George Floyd situation and how it influenced and the experience it was for Black culture. Yeah, so it was basically finding a way to take this huge, tragic event that I'm still, you know, kind of scarred about. I'm sure you can probably relate just because you see somebody that's a black man getting choked out, you know, on TV, that, that kind of changes you. So um, I knew I was hurting. So I figured I'm in Northwest Indiana. There haven't been many black reporters willing to, you know, give an opportunity to, to report in this area. There haven't been many reporters in general, black or not, who have kind of taken a stance on this is right or wrong. So I figured I'm going to go all in and try to talk to some of these coaches and see how they feel about this, because it's injustice. So I, I, I wrote a piece, a personal piece that's been to my Twitter profile still to this day about how it made me feel and how I wasn't just going to just let this slide. I was going to speak my mind as a Black reporter. And then from there, I kind of did another project, which is the, the award I won. And that was just talking to, um, you know, Bo Padden from Merrillville, the first Black head coach at Merrillville for boys basketball program. Um, Dominique Nelson, the first Black head coach at Calumet um, High School. I talked to Rick Good, who was who is the son of a cop, 
um, about this injustice. And he was another one saying this is wrong, even though he comes from, you know, a family of, of, of you know, who has obviously a lot of respect for law enforcement. And then I talked to Colin Flowers, like a guy I consider my brother, um, just to get like a younger perspective on it. And um, it was a series where basically I asked him a series of questions and I more or less just let them talk. Like in the, if you go back and read it, um, I could share it, um, send it to you, Thomas, afterwards, if you want to check it out. And it's basically them just sharing their thoughts on seeing it, you know, that the murder happened, um, the conversation they had with themselves, conversation they had with their, with their players, if they were coaches, um, and, and what they hope for for the future. So um, I do this to win an award, but when I did, uh, it was crazy, man. I had a chance to take my dad to Vegas with me to accept the award, had a great experience, but um, I wrote about it afterwards as well. And I was just saying, like, I hope this is a type of writing that I never win an award for again, because I never want that to happen. Like, it was weird. I'm celebrating this moment with me and my dad, two black men, and I wouldn't have even written this piece if a black man hadn't been murdered. So um, I think that was probably one of the first times in my life that I really, really leaned into just being black and being unapologetic about the, the messed up stuff that we see. So I think that people um, appreciated that. Um, on the flip side, I got a lot of hate because of that. But at the same time, I think that I was just proud to stand on something that was bigger than sports and to let the kids know in the region black, brown, white, whatever, that they're loved and that, you know, no matter what you're going through, somebody is at least listening to your pain and willing to give you a platform to speak on that. It was definitely brave of you to be able to cover a series like that, especially when it's emotional like that. When you have to interview other people, like you have to be able to, you know, ask those emotional type questions as a journalist to get those real answers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people don't understand that, you know, there, there are just some articles that like actually hit you. When you, when you finish with it, you're like, I put my all into this. I feel very passionate about this. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I want my mind to be understood. And they have to understand it from my perspective, from my words. For you to win an award in your first award, your first major, you know, APSC yeah. award, that is an outstanding job by you, man. And I like I honestly it, commend you for everything that you be doing. Now. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's crazy because, like, you know, people tell me, like, oh, man you know, keep doing what you're doing or you're an inspiration. I, and, I, and I mean this when I say, like, I draw inspiration from you too, bro. Like, it's, to me, it's like, what, how far can I take this thing with love? Like, I know I want to accomplish a lot of things, but I don't want it to just be me. So, like, I'll retweet a high school kid that gets an offer still to this day. Um, I'll shout out, you know, the, like, I even did it yesterday. Like, I shouted out an a old high school ref that I knew from the region, um, showed us some love just because I feel like, every step, like even you taking my picture at, you know, the state finals, it's like every step had to happen for me to get here. So I never want to become this person where it's like, I'm too big to one, give back to people that, that spoke life into me and believed in me before the blue check and all the followers. And then mm. two, um, never get too big to keep it real. You know what I'm saying? Be authentic. That's why I try to do podcasts like this with you. I try to give back to people. I try to speak life into all the kids telling them they could do it because I was, uh, I was that kid dreaming too. So um, it means a lot, man. It really does mean a lot. I'm thankful for the opportunity as always. And I mean that sincerely. Like, I know people probably think it's like an act, but, you know, I feel like if people get to know me long enough and they know I'm not acting, because if, if that was the case, man, I probably want an Emmy and not an APSC. <laughs> I understand that completely, man. Uh, one final question. Do you have any advice to young Black journalists? Be yourself. I would say uh, know that there is going to be times where you might have that imposter syndrome. Like, I, when I went to New York, for example, um, I know we talk about crazy NBA trips. 
When I went to New York, I went to Madison Square Garden, method, right? I got to the press room. I was the only black reporter in there. The only one. You got white men, you got white women. Um, I'm, I'm not even taking anything away from them. You know, I, I got a chance to meet Mike Breen, who's a big time, you know, voice wow. in the NBA in a sense. You know, I'm shaking shook his Bang. head. Yeah, I know, right? And I wanted to ask him to do it. But I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to be like, you know, fan <laughs> like that. But um, in those spaces, sometimes you can feel like, man, like I'm the only one here. Or I'm the only one who got on Jordans. Or I'm the only one who got a, a nappy mohawk. But that's cool. That's fine because you're inspiring that next person. Like I'm had a chance to meet Chris Haynes. I probably don't get to where I'm at or, or view my career or see um, my potential if I don't see it in Chris Haynes, if I don't see it. And other people, even Stephen A. Smith, like for people who criticize this man and, and, and say that he, you know, is a talking head, he has all these crazy hot takes. And I get it. Like a lot of that too is entertainment. You got to drive like the media cycle, but that dude worked his butt off to get to that position. Like he was an outstanding beat writer. He started off similar to me, you know, doing high school, doing college and then killing it in New York, killing it in Philadelphia for a while with Allen Iverson. So like, this is a dude that has really carved out his own lane and, and took it to, to new heights where he's honestly a celebrity in and of himself. Like when I was at All-Star Weekend, you got Stephen A walking down, people are asking photos with him. And not, I'm not even saying that I want that. I'm just saying that it, if you see it, it's possible. So I think about that a lot with the lane I'm in. So to all my young black brothers and sisters out there, man, just know that you can do it. And if, you know, if it's hard, it's supposed to be hard. You know, if you're the only one doing it, make sure that, uh, you know, if you get, ever have a chance to speak life into anybody else, you help them along and you help them get through that door. So it's not, you know, just you. So um, to me, I look at every great journalist and any anybody, even these great players, like they all had to start somewhere. Like LeBron wasn't LeBron right away. You know what I'm saying? Like he still was gifted by God, but he had to work extremely hard. And when you look at people who are at the top in any industry, whether it's music, basketball, sports, entertainment, um, they're the ones who were blessed, but they worked extremely hard. So I worked really hard. Um, I honor those who came before me um, and I honor those around me. You know, if I, I feel like if I spread love enough, that love is going to come back to me um, tenfold. And that's not even why I do it. Sometimes you just give love, you work hard. And I feel like if you do that and you be yourself, you know, me, nappy headed, smiling, then um, you got nothing to lose. I appreciate your advice. I appreciate you spending time to be able to chat with me today, man. As far as journalists go and people in the sports media world, between you, J.A. Adande, and Wendell Smith, the black reporter that covered Jackie Robinson, I honestly can say that there's no other top three of my most inspirational journalists that I've ever seen. And I can honestly say that, like as a friend, as a homie, as like anything, man, you definitely inspire me. I read your articles. I love the fact that you're in the Indy Star. I love the fact that you started at high school sports in the region. Yeah. You wanted to get region yeah. news out there. Yeah. That you cover stories that, you know, you have to be able to cover certain situations that other reporters will not talk about and won't even touch. Yeah, and, and one more piece of advice I'll give to any upcoming journalist, no matter if you're Black, white, white, treat it like it's the New York Times, man. Like, treat every story you write like it's going to be on the front page. And that's not saying you're going to hit it out the park with every story. And sometimes I do just have to like literally write like the basic information and just get it done. Cause that's, that's the job. But if you treat it a certain way, I feel like you'll train yourself up to when you get bigger opportunities, they won't seem as big because you've always treated everything with a certain standard. Like for me, 
Um, it's great to get the recognition, like I said, to get the blue check and get all these followers and, and have, you know, uh, videos go viral and stuff like that. But it, the effort I'm giving now was no different than when I was in the region, driving around, covering high school sports. Like, it's all the same. Everybody has a story. Everybody wants to be, you know, um, in the paper or wants to have their words shared. So for me, it's just remembering that um, even if nobody's like a, a sports fan, even if they're not into sports, humans relate to other humans. So you find that human element at the high school level, at the college level, at the pro level, the stories that usually travel well or, or get, you know, win awards, seeing some of my peers win awards, it's because they're relatable. You know what I mean? So um, just believe in yourself. And never be afraid to, to start somewhere, man. Start anywhere. It don't matter where you start. Because if you work hard, I truly believe that, you know, you'll get what you're supposed to get. Like my guy Fred Van Vliet said, I got a chance to ask him a question about that. Tied it into an article about my uncles and how they believed in me, spoke life into me. So, again, like, if you're willing to work for it, man, you got to just be willing to be humble enough to start anywhere, but confident enough to know that. Just because you started at this place doesn't mean you always going to be there. Like, yeah, that might be cool. That might be your line. You might, you know, hop into a college and say, I can do this for 30 years. For me, it's kind of like I'll do this for however long and see what's next kind of way. So I'm not rushing anything, but I'm always proud of where I come from, where I'm going, because every step matters. I know you got to get going to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The Patriots have a huge matchup <laughs> against the Boston Celtics. But in all seriousness, man, thanks for having me on. Um, anytime you need me, you know where to find me. Hit me up. I'm never going to be, like I said, too big to, to rock with the folks that knew me before, you know, all of this. Man, you showed me a lot of love um, before I even knew this was going to happen, man. So, of course, I'm always going to show that love right back. Yes, thanks again, man. You guys can follow Romeoville Kid on Twitter and subscribe to the Indie Star to read more stories from James Ward. All right, I think we good, big dog. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the On Air Mobcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow Mobcast On Air and Official.TBG on social media.